This is the Sneaky Plays Podcast, presented by JokerMag.com, the home of the underdog. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this podcast. All righty then. Welcome to the Sneaky Plays Podcast. I am Brian Contino here with Joe Duffy, here to talk some baseball. What is going on, Joe? Not much, man. East Coast baseball fans are exhausted this morning, and Reds fans are, I don't know what they are, down in the dumps, I guess. Last place in the division and had a pretty rough night, so at least I'm in better shape than them. Yeah, the Reds, uh, surprisingly, their hitting has been like the absolute issue with them. Um, Their pitching has been actually really good. Um, What do you think about uh, last night? Was... uh, was Mike Fires no hitter? First of all, congratulations to him. That's a nearly impossible thing to do. Um, was that more of the Reds being very poor hitting this season, or Mark, Mike Fires just having to be kind of on last night? Uh, had had some help from his defense, and uh, it was him who got the job done, as opposed to the Reds failing. Well, let's just get this out. If if Mike Fires pitches against a team Yasiel Puig's on, his chances of throwing a no hitter suddenly just skyrocket. Um, look, he did it against the Dodgers a while, a little while back. Um, obviously he's shown that when he's at the top of his game, he has the ability to put a game like that together. Um, but it's a combination of both. You can never, you're never going to throw a no hitter without some help from the other team, some help from the guys behind you, regardless of how on or off you might be. So I think it's definitely a combination of both. But like you said, congrats to Fires. To do that twice in your career, is that's something impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, his, his numbers last night, two walks, uh, six Ks. Um, I think Chapman had an error behind him. Makes him the 35th multiple uh, pitcher to throw multiple no-hitters in their career. So, like, like we, I just touched upon, like a seriously nearly impossible feat. Yeah, you – I don't think I ever would have thought Mike Fires would be on that list of guys, but there he is. Um, <laughs> he, I, He's just one of those guys, man. When he's on, he's got it, but it's just he doesn't often have it, you know. So it was great to see him put that game together last night, but I'm sure that uh, we'll be seeing a four-inning start from him shortly down the line to get back things back on track. Oh, absolutely. It has some uh... – remembrance of homer bailey type stuff (laughs) right agreed and against the reds you know yeah (laughs) um so uh touching on that um got a little trivia question who was the most recent pitcher uh to throw the no-no for two separate teams most recent pitcher to throw a no-no for two separate teams i'll give you a hint one of his no-hitters was in 1990. The second one was all the way um, 14 years later in 2004. Um, I do not know, man. I do not have that one. I'll give you one of the teams, the Arizona Diamondbacks. All right, we're going Randy? Randy Johnson, the yeah, big okay. unit. Okay. Yep, did in 1990. Uh, and 2004, so okay. he was the most recent person to do it for, for two teams. The previous person to do it for two teams was none other than Hideo Nomo. <laughs> yeah, right? Isn't That's one of the weirdest stats in baseball, man. <laughs> Hideo Nomo is one of the weirdest pitchers there's ever been. You want to talk about just up and down inconsistency? That guy, he defined that. Him and Mike Vyer should go eat dinner one day, talk through pitching together. I think that's actually something that we need to, to hook up and get together. I yeah, think that would be uh... – They would be boys, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. And uh, another – not really a trivia, but just kind of your thoughts. Do you think a, throwing a no-hitter is easier or div- more difficult than it, than it was like 15, 20 years ago? Ooh, I think it's probably more difficult now. Um and I get why – I get the sense of the way, um, you know, players approach the game now looking for home runs, um, looking to change their launch angle, more strikeouts now. 
I get the sense that and less hits in general. So I, I completely understand the argument the other way. But for me, I would say it's tougher just because of the monitoring of pitchers. Um, it's tough. It's tough for guys to go nine innings nowadays. Um, if you want to, you have to keep your pitch count down. We saw it with David Hess for the Orioles early in the year, had a no-no going through either six or seven, and he just got yanked right out of the game pitching fantastic. So I think even though it might be easier on paper to get it done, the the philosophy of uh, pitching coaches and the games kind of made it a bit difficult. More yeah, difficult. I, 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 yeah, I think it's, it's possibly a little bit more difficult um, because of what you touched upon. I think – uh, all these managers are locked in on a hundred pitches as, as pitchers pitch counts. Um, and you, you, like we said, we saw it with David Hess and then you see it with, you know, with other guys, with young pitchers, especially if it's like, eh, if they throw five no hit innings, but they're at 93, 94, 95 pitches, it's like, you know, they're not finishing that game. So <laughs> it just takes it away right there. They don't even have an, an opportunity to go for it. Um, which I think is sort of sad. But I mean, if like if I was throwing a no hitter, there's no way I'm I'm getting taken out of the game. I'll throw 200 pitches. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's I, I don't know pitcher. I I mean the pitching mentality. I don't think there's a starter out there who wants to get yanked. But I just especially early in the season, managers just they're not going to risk the in, the potential injury. And look, I'm with you. I think the hundred pitch count that limit that that like. Uh, check mark i think it's the one of the dumbest things still going in baseball but um yeah i don't i don't know i mean what do you, do you think that like some of these guys we've seen throw no hitters recently like kyle hendricks for instance he threw an 81 pitch shutout um last week i think it was so like i mean we're kind of seeing it more do you do you think that the way the game's played now really affects how deep pitchers are able to go yeah absolutely it it definitely does because um i mean managers are going to their bullpens early they know that they have electric arms in their bullpen and guys that are supposed to literally just come in and get outs and i think managers rely on um the statistics rather than than looking at their pitcher and seeing what they got and honestly if kyle hendricks only has whatever it was 70 pitches in the eighth inning like he's he's good to go um and I think if, if he were at 90 pitches in the eighth inning, they uh, Madden would have taken him out. Yeah, that's – I really do. Isn't that interesting? Like, just that little bit of difference, even though he was cruising, if it was just 10 pitches more or 15 pitches more, whatever. That's my point. Like, it's so weird the way got, uh, coaches approach it. Because I, I think John Smoltz has the best philosophy on that with uh, when he talks about stress pitches and guys having to work through – you know, difficultly bases loaded, nobody out, having to get through that inning. And then two guys on, like Kyle Hendricks never had to push through that. So if he got to 90 pitches, even though he's there, they weren't stressful pitches. He was just throwing. So No, I I would have to agree with John Spoltz on that. I usually don't agree with him on a lot of things, but his philosophy with that, I do have to get behind because um, as a pitcher, my, I mean, I wasn't like a high-level pitcher or anything, but I mean, I'm still throwing today. And it's like, if there's bases loaded, like I'm, I'm gearing up, you know, another, I'm trying to get another tick on my fastball or whatever it is. But in the first inning, no one on, no one out. Like, I'm, I'm just throwing the ball for a strike, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I think that's what Hendricks does for sure because he doesn't, he's not a high VLO guy. So, like, for me, I think Hendricks can go like 130 pitches and, and be completely fine. Like, he's that type of guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he could go 200 and be fine. He's a pitch to contact pitcher. That's what he is. He's inducing ground balls. Um, He's looking for location. He's kind of like – I don't want to say he's like in the sense of the way they pitch, but in terms of how they get out and velocity and everything, he's kind of like Greg Maddox. And Maddox was a guy that if he needed to, could run all the way through a game. So I'm with you. I think Hendricks is a guy that could go deep. I think there's a lot of guys in baseball that could go deep. Um, Mike Fires has shown you he can do it. It's just a matter of managers letting him go. Yeah, Um Actually, I want to touch upon – I was watching the Rays game on Monday night, and I actually thought Blake Snell was going to be the first one to throw a no-hitter because he looked absolutely dominant against the, the Diamondbacks. Yeah. He, he ended up only going six innings, and a lot of Rays fans were really upset that he got pulled. But to be fair, they were up, I think, at that point when he got pulled, either seven or eight nothing. 
Um, so there, so at that point, I see there's no real reason for him to stay out there. He had lit up his hit or whatever. But if he was throwing no hitter and Kevin Cash took him out, that would have been something I actually would have been upset about. But the fact that he already lit up the hit and he got taken out, I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah, I think, and I think that's exactly why he took him out. I don't think he would have taken him out had he not allowed the hit. Um, and to be, you know, with that much of a cushion, strong bullpen, uh, still early in the season, you're not going to risk throwing your ace out there and who knows what might happen. So I, I completely agree with the move Cash made. Um, look, that Snell was dealing. I get what Rays fans were upset about. Um, just from a viewing perspective, you love to see that guy go nine innings, shut it down, maybe throw a one hitter. But look, they're in the lead in the division. They they got to play the long game right now. They're they're playing the marathon, not the sprint. Exactly. I think they're like the biggest. Um, I don't know the word, but the the team that needs to stay with it, like you just said, stay in the long game. Use use every uh, every player that they have the right way for them to be successful. So. Yeah, I'm with Cash. I like I'm I'm usually with Cash like 95 percent of the time. So, I mean, I mean, he has to be one of the best managers in the game. Like you know, in the longest time. Yeah, he's dude. What he's been able to do with them, they just they look at baseball from a completely different lens than everyone else. And to this point, he's pretty much doing it better than everyone in a short. You know, it's not like he's been in Tampa for a lifetime over to rebuild this thing. So. It's impressive what he's doing, man. I agree with you. Kevin Cash is – that's a for sure manager of the year front runner right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's touch upon um, Kyle Hendricks' team, the Chicago Cubs. Um, I mean, playing just absolutely lights out baseball uh, lately. Last night, Chris Bryant hits the walk-off three-run home run to end the game against the Marlins. Um, they're half game up in the NL Central with a 20-13 record. They've won eight out of their last nine games. I mean, what's what's happening with the Cubs? Are they the real deal? Um, and can we say that right now in the first week of uh, May? Second week of May, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think we can. I think they're back to maybe not 2015 form, but they're getting there. And me and you talked about it uh, a couple weeks back that them and the Rockies were two teams that needed to really step on the gas early because they could not allow themselves to get in a hole with the divisions they're in and the NL central shaping up that way. Um, the Brewers are on a six game win streak right now, cruising at the top. The Cardinals have been stellar for the most part, little slump now, but they've been great. And the Cubs were, they did what they needed to do. They went on that streak entrenched themselves right at the top of that division. The pirates are competing. So the NL central is going to be tight. You can't, there's no leeway to fall back. Um, and the Cubs is putting it together at the right time. Now, we touched on this last week. They're going to get Russell back in that lineup, which say what you want about the guy. The baseball player is a huge upgrade for them. So I think that the Cubs are not only back, I think they should be the favorite to win the NL Central going forward because, I mean, if we're just talking about depth, that's a team that has it. So you have them kind of kind of ranked over the Cardinals going forward? Yeah, so I kind of – I think that three NL Central teams are going to make the postseason this year. Um, I think the NL East is just they're going to beat up on each other too much to where there's not going to be multiple teams that get too far. I think that the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers all cross that threshold, get in at the end of the season. So the Cubs just to me, the Cubs have the best pitching out of everyone or at least the most experienced in pitching going deeper into the season. So that's why I'd favor them over the other two. Yeah, I, I think I think the Cubs pitching is if they stay if they pitch to their level of potential, I mean, they're one of the best teams in baseball. I mean look at the guys they have and Hendricks and Darvish and Quintana, like and Lester. I mean, if these guys are pitching at their top level, like they're going to be an extremely difficult team to beat down the stretch. Um and I mean it's it's slightly better than the Cardinals. The Cardinals pitching has been actually pretty down to start the year. Um, and then we've seen the, the Brewers pitching. I mean, they have a negative run differential, so their pitching has not been great either. They're still managing to win baseball games, though, and their lineup is super dangerous. So 
I think between these three teams, it's whoever beats the Pirates and the Reds more. Like, that's who's going to come out on top of this division because those are going to be the important games um, coming down in, in uh, late July, August, and September. So whoever can beat up on the, the Pirates and the, and the Reds uh, more than the others, I think has the best shot at uh, taking the division. Yeah, and here's the thing. I don't know that beating up on the Pirates and the Reds is going to be an easy task anyway. Um, the Pirates can pitch. They have arms. And despite the Reds' record, they actually have a plus-21 run differential, which is outrageous to think about. Um, so that's a team that, despite what they've done so far this year, they could just flip the script really quickly and turn it around. So I- I'm with you. You're going to have to beat those teams down the stretch. I'm just saying they're not going to be easy wins for sure. Oh, no, I have to agree. They're not going to be easy at all. This is uh... – this is probably like I, I I'm usually an AL East you know backer, but I think the NL Central is is the best division in baseball. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm an NL East guy too. And look, there's four good teams in the NL East, but I mean, if we're just there's five good teams in the NL Central. It's just it is what it is. I I do I really only think in the National League you're looking at like maybe two incompetent teams between uh, the Marlins and. Who I don't even like the Giants. All of a sudden, I, the Giants have turned into one of those teams. But everyone in the National League is competitive. Yeah, I mean that's that's an absolutely fair statement. Like you said, the Marlins. I mean, they're just abysmal. And then I mean the Giants. Like the Giants are going to go out and compete, though. Like they're not just going to get rolled o- like rolled over. I mean, like you're sa- like you're saying. I mean, there's not really a, a you know a walkover team in in the NL besides the Marlins. So. I mean, these teams are it, – it's going to be tough to make the playoffs for, for anybody, um, possibly besides the Dodgers. Like, everyone else is going to have to really get get their stuff together and, and come out on top of their division in order to make the playoffs. Yeah, the Do- the Dodgers are just cakewalking. It's, they're making it look easy. It's kind of not even fair at this point how good they've been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's, let's actually touch upon a struggling team from the NL East, um, a team that I was very – very high on before the season, the Washington Nationals. Um, I mean, obviously they're they're depleted. Uh, Rendon just came back last night. He ended up getting ejected from the game on an awful call, <laughs> awful strike call um, in the important part of the game too. It was sixth inning, couple runners on, pitchers like uh, you know a ball and a half off the plate got rung up, got tossed because he he put the bat on the plate. I mean, you can't really do that, but no, nah, I respect um, it though. <laughs> I respect it too. Uh, I mean, he he told the umpire like that was awful. But anyway, they're they're really struggling. Um, they've lost three in a row. Uh, they're three and seven out of their last ten games. Eighteenth um, in hitting with a two forty four average. Twenty fourth in pitching with a four nine four ERA. What's going on in in DC and how much of concern it is uh, for them to to possibly make the playoffs or just at least be a relevant baseball team come towards the end of the season. Uh, I think they'll stay relevant because of the pitching. Um, and like you said, it ha- it hasn't been great early, but it'll figure itself out. Those guys are too good to not put it together. My real issue with that team is just the youth in that lineup is where they're looking for production from guys like Juan Soto, like uh, Robles coming in. And now it doesn't help that Trey Turner's out. That's obviously a huge issue. But the way they approach it, like I just don't think that – mentally they're they're really like um, ready to make the push to get to that next level those young guys I just don't think they approach their at bats in a mature way I think Juan Soto's a guy who when he gets up to the plate he's hell hacking every time he's up there kind of like Javi Baez did early in his career and it took him time to figure it out so I, I think the Nationals I don't know I don't see them making the playoffs this year I do see them making the playoffs in future years because of the youth they have coming up, but I just I think they need more time to mature. Yeah, I, I might have to be there with you. I think they're potentially an eighty-five win team, and that's potential. Like that's if everything, if if all the cards fall in the right place. That's if Trey Turner comes back and he's good. Um, that's if Juan Soto comes back from his back spasms and he's good. Like that means their bullpen has to clean it up completely for them to win 85 games. Yeah, which is and, tough. And that's going to be tough because their bullpen is 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 awful. Um 
I don't know what if they're going to go get an arm or something, but um, they they might need to because it's a real struggle right now in DC, um, and I I just don't know where they're going to go. For me, I'm con- I'm concerned. I'm not like oh wow they're they're completely out of it, but it's it's going to be a real tough climb for them to to try to make a playoff push, and I it's it's really tough for me to see it happening. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm not necessarily pushing the panic button, but this is kind of like we talked about with the Cubs a few weeks back. It's like you have to make a move now and get back to the toward the front of that division because if you don't, it's just over. Um, you know, these teams are going to start run, pulling away, running away from you. And if you pull, you know, if you get to, you know, seven, eight, nine games, it's going to be tough to come back on any of them. So I'm with you. They – Obviously, the injuries have probably been their biggest issue. Um, Trey Turner, especially going down early, but you gotta—it's next man up in baseball. We know that, especially in a 162-game season, where obviously, unless you're Cal Ripken, you ain't playing every game. So, the Nats, the next man up mentality, the depth, the youth—it's—it's it's all kind of thrown in the pot together and become one big issue. Then they're having trouble winning games because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you would you would hope that some of those guys like, you know, Wilbur Defoe would would be playing a little bit better, and he's kind of just not. Um, I mean, it's I mean it's tough when when you guys when you, when your next man up really just is doesn't equal uh, the guy in front of him, and that's tough to do. Like like we've touched upon before the season, the Rays have you know a team like the Rays or the Dodgers. If someone gets hurt the guy that's replacing them is, isn't much worse. They're probably almost equal. So right. like, you know, that's, that's the problem in Washington where it's like Trey Turner gets hurt. Here comes Carter Keyboom. like cool, really good triple a player, but he's not Trey Turner. So you're losing, you know, stolen bases, you're losing home runs, you're, you're losing great, great defense. So, you know, it, it's, that's a lot to overcome. I think when he comes back, I think he's one of the, the X factors on that team. And I think it'll help them. Uh, in the long run when he comes back. Um, But moving on to uh, a different team in the NL East, your team, the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, What are some of your thoughts on, on Bryce struggling early and then Aaron Nola struggling early, but making a huge, huge leaps forward and and looking like himself again. The whole Bryce thing is interesting because I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bryce Harper throughout, you know, to this point in the season has been Bryce Harper has he not I, I would have to agree I, obviously the rumblings across MLB are like he's he's really struggling but I mean he did similar stuff last year and again same talks were happening same rumblings were happening and then he came out in the second half and, and was fine um and I think it's going to be a similar season to last year I don't know if I don't know if you think that but I think that yeah I definitely think that and I think it's probably going to be that way for the you know, the better part of the rest of his career. I don't think he's a guy that's going to hit close to three, you know, 310, 315 every year. I think he's probably going to be somewhere between the 265, 290 range every year. Um, but you're still going to get your production out of him. It's not like the RBIs aren't there. Crushed a grand slam last night. Um, so I just, the booze just don't make sense to me because this is the player we got. You You should know. Especially in Philadelphia, they were clamoring for him over Manny Machado. So you knew what you were getting. So that's, that to me, why I don't understand the booze. I understand booing for – I get it. He was slumping. It, it was a bad slump. It didn't look good. Fine. But you knew what you got yourself into. Those slumps are going to happen. And then from the Aaron Nola perspective, that, that guy was fantastic last night. Um, seven innings, just – mowed down the Cardinals um had a three up three down third I think it was where he just looked dominant looked like Cy Young candidate Aaron Nola from last year and that's what this team needs they need him at the top of that rotation to when you're going up against DeGrom Scherzer Strasburg Syndergaard you need a guy that can match up with them and that's what Nola's got to be for this team so that was extremely promising to see last night yeah, um, for for me, I I just I can't get behind fans that boo their own team. <laughs> I just can't do it. Like, it makes zero sense to me. Yeah, no, you're, you're, I'm with you. 
you're the point of, of you being a fan is to get behind your team, boo the other team. Uh, it's simple stuff. It's, you know, two plus two is four. That's what it is. Um, and in, and in NOLA, I, I think, I think a lot of people were very concerned at the beginning. I was more of like a, eh, he's, it's, it's real early in the season type, type of thing for NOLA. He's going to be just fine. I mean, I watched a little bit of him last night. Uh, he looked great, just absolutely phenomenal. I, I, and I did watch that third inning, and that was actually after I turned it off, right before I turned it off. And, I mean, God, just the one, when, two, three type of stuff is like just wow. When, <laughs> Amazing. When, when he gets into that groove, he's one of those guys where the first inning seems to be the struggle for him, if he's going to struggle. it's He'll have a long first inning, throw a lot of pitches, put a couple guys on. But if he gets past that first inning – and doesn't like he doesn't run into trouble just forget about it and put a win up for the Phillies because he's just he dissects guys he mows you down good a- good morning good afternoon good night just three pitches challenges you has you thinking not reacting he's just he's so smart on the mound to me he's easily one of the three smartest pitchers in baseball and he has to be because and that's why I wasn't concerned it's because it's not he doesn't do it with stuff it's it's not a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. It's a 91-92-mile-an-hour fastball. He's he's a real pitcher. He's going out there, and he's making you think, changing eye levels, working in and out. So I wasn't concerned with him because of that. And for him to go out and do that last night, show he's he's for sure got it in him, and he's ready to roll now in May. That's, that's why you can't overreact in April. That's why we didn't do it on him. We didn't do it on sale. You know, it takes it takes guys sometimes to get some time to get going, and, Aaron Ola's got it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, does does it really does it hurt their numbers? Yes, but does it hurt their production towards the back half of the season? No, I think it actually it guides them in the right direction. Obviously, Noah looked at some tape of himself pitching and was like, "I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this right. How do I get better?" And I, Sale's going to be doing the same thing. A lot of these pitchers are. Snell did that after a two struggling uh, starts against the Royals, which like. Come on. Yeah. Then, then he comes out against the Diamondbacks, who have uh, one of the best hitting teams to baseball to date, and just absolutely destroys them, annihilates them. I mean, they didn't even look like they were close to the baseball throughout the entire game. So I think we're going to see that with Noel going forward. He's just going to be phenomenal, um, and I can't wait to see. I mean, he's going to really help the Phillies, along with Arietta, just, like, get that team over the hump and t- kind of give them a few games – uh, cushion in that division, which they certainly need, because like you touched upon, it's going to be a lot of beating up on each other in that division. So if they could win the games out of the division and then, you know, hold their own within the division, I, th- I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, I think uh, I think Zach Eflin stepping up the way he has recently too is a huge boost for them to have Noah kind of coming back into his own and Eflin coming into his own. Um, that's huge for them, but I think. Like you touched upon uh, when you said Snell, um, we said sna- uh, Sale. Well, I almost said Snail combining Snell and Sale. Uh, but Sale, Snell, Nola. I think the common denominator for all of them was fastball com- – or is – was fastball command. Um, you got to be able to locate your fastball, man. It's the most important thing as a pit for a pitcher in baseball. So I think that's the common denominator for all of them. It's just getting control of your fastball, being able to work off it, get ahead of hitters and – you know, figuring the game out as you go. I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, this is still something in baseball that we can't get away from. It's, it's first pitch strikes, like in the right spot anyway, not just grooving it down the middle, but locating your first pitch to exactly where you want it. And then just building off of that pitch. I think that's what Aaron Nola does extremely well when he's on. Chris Sale does it extremely well when he's on. And same with Blake Snell. It's like, if Blake Snell is throwing at the top of the zone at 97 and then he throws that hook at that same plane, I mean, it, you can't hit it. You it's possible. Can't. <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, I'm just like, I just love, I love pitching and I, I hope um, all these top pitchers just keep, keep getting better and better throughout the season. Um, we'll uh, do, a, do a 180 to a young hitter in the game. Um, one that we've talked about a lot and we're, we'll, sh- we're, we'll just cruise through this real quick. Vlad Jr. Uh, struggling, 162 in 37 at-bats and 11 strikeouts. Um, what have you seen from Vlad Jr.? And uh, do you think he's going to progress forward? 
Oh, for sure. He, he'll he be just fine. Um, I think what we're seeing is just the transition stage. Um, you know, timing, getting used to the everyday life of being an MLB player. I just think I think it's a different thing. Um, and obviously, the pitching is much better at this level. It's just what's no bones about it. It's much better. So it's it's getting used to pit. It's getting used to the pitching you're seeing now. It's getting used to the timing. Um, obviously, you'd like to see those strikeouts come down. I don't know that they will, um, but you would like to see it happen. But yeah, I think he'll be just fine, man. It's just a case of getting used to it and transitioning up to the bigs. Yeah, I think for me, his strikeouts this season, probably this season alone, maybe next season, he's going to strike out a lot. But going forward in his career, he's he's going to realize that he just needs to be more patient at the plate because he's such a dangerous hitter um, that he's going to get he's going to get a lot of walks, and I think he needs to start realizing that. But I mean, it's in a non-pressure year for Toronto. Uh, he doesn't need to you know be trying to to hit the long ball all the time or doing extra stuff at the plate. Like he just needs to be himself, stay within himself, and I think he's he's kind of getting out of that. Um, and I think as once he starts realizing that it's a non-pressure season, I think he's going to be just fine towards the back end of this year. Like I said, still strike out a lot, but I think the, once the, once he hits a couple of home runs, I, I think he's going to start turning it up. Yeah, I'm with you. I um I also think being on Toronto doesn't help him. Like he's got zero protection in that lineup, and pitchers know who he is. Obviously, know his father, know the name, and they don't want to get shown up by a young kid coming up. So I think that he's not only, you know, it's not only a case of transitioning to MLB pitching. It's that he's getting each pitcher's best on every at-bat. So he's, look, it's just being prepared every at-bat. You have to come in. You're being looked at coming into this league kind of how A-Rod was looked at when he was young, kind of like Jeter after his first year with the Yankees. Like, when guys know the level of talent you bring, they're not just going to groove pitches and – you know, take your at-bat for granted. They're going to come after you and try to get the big out. So I think that being that top guy in Toronto is definitely affecting him too. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. It's definitely a lot of pressure um, having really no protection in, in, in your lineup. Um, and, you know, going back to the Phillies, like Bryce Harper, no matter if he's struggling or not, he's protecting other hitters, making other hitters better. And, Vlad Jr. doesn't really have, like, the opportunity to do that because the hitters around him just aren't good. So Stink. They <laughs> all stink. Yeah, so Toronto's it's – uh, Bring the farm out, man. What are we doing here? I'm so ready for it. I, yeah. Biggio, Biggio needs to come up, like, yesterday. Um, I mean, once Bichette gets healthy, he needs to come up. Like, just just play all the young guys. At least, at least have some exciting stuff going on. Like – like Eric Sogard, you're a great guy, but no one wants to see you play baseball. Like yeah, Eric on. Sogard <laughs> is, come on, let's we're being honest that he's still playing major league baseball. And look, I'm not, I'm not Eric Sogard. You are a much better major, uh, baseball player than me at any level. But dude, you are not a major league baseball player anymore. I am sorry. I just let's get someone, anyone, just start bringing some kids up and let's see them play. Put that product on the field that your fans could get excited about. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Um, well, let's go. Let's go back to a bright spot for a bright young player in, in this league. Uh, someone that you and I just are absolutely foaming at the mouth about. Uh, Chris Paddock, man, what what a stud! Yeah, what man, I, stud, dude, I love this kid. Love everything about Chris Paddock. Um, you remember before the season started, we talked and we both, me and you, were both saying. You know, before long, it's not going to take a very long time for people to realize that's that's the guy in the Padres rotation. Yeah, like, and, and over Lucchese, over everyone else. Yeah, and he he, he showed it almost almost immediately. Like, as soon as he came in, you were like, "Wow, ninety-seven top of the zone, able to throw changeups that you know wherever he wants, really, even against right-handed hitters." Like, not many not many right-handed pitchers can throw a really good changeup against right-handed hitters. Like. That takes a lot of skill and a lot of time to do. Um, Paddock, for me, is just – he's one of those pitchers. He's kind of like Scherzer. Obviously, Scherzer is well-established in this league. But I think Paddock has that same mentality where it's like 
I'm, I've been undervalued before and I'm not going to let it happen again. And you can see the fire in his eyes when he pitches and it's just, it's just simply incredible to watch. It's, it's really fun to watch pitchers pitch with raw emotion. Uh, we, you saw it against the Mets. I mean, he, what was it? Pete Alonzo won NL rookie of the month over him. And he was just like, all right, Pete Alonzo, huh? He's the guy. And he just went after him, man, after him. And that whole game against the Mets, he would have an 0-2 count. He's just challenging you with a fastball. Did not care about it. There was no – he wasn't methodical about it. He was just coming at guys. And we talked about it with Luis Castillo last week. He's just – I I love a pitcher who's willing to challenge hitters, and that's what Paddock does. He challenges you every single at-bat. And that – sure, I think Max Scherzer is, like, the perfect – comparison to Paddock um obviously Scherzer way deeper in his career and everything but just the emotion and the energy they bring on the mound they're like the same guy um now Chris Paddock is never allowed to complain if someone bat flips on him ever he's not allowed to but I but I love the emotion I I hope he keeps bringing it yeah no I have to agree I think there's there's some pitchers that strut a lot and then they get salty that someone backflips on them, a.k.a. Chris Archer. He needs to relax. Um, <laughs> like some, some of these pitchers, you know, they think they can do it and the hitters can't. So I, I think pitchers need to realize that, yeah, you could be emotional. You, you can strut your stuff. But if a hitter takes one 440 off you, he can do the exact same thing. And I think pitchers need to start realizing that and stop throwing at freaking hitters, man. That pisses me off. Yeah, dude, we're talking about – the guy's career that you're going after. Look, obviously, I'm. You know, I've been hit by God knows how many baseballs throughout my time. And look, you come back from it. But if you get like David Wright's a guy when he got hit in the head, he was it. It changed his career. So you got to be careful, man. It's it's not something to mess with just because a guy threw threw the bat up in the air after he hit a home run off you. How about you go? How about you go strike him out next time instead? How about that? Yeah, I, I, and and don't get me wrong. I don't want to take away throwing inside to hitters and brushing them off the plate. Right. But, no, I'm I'm with you. But we're, let's not throw at, at players' hips or backs or heads or anything because, I mean, you've I mean, this is you know not the best example, but you've seen it with John Carlos Stanton. Like the way he stands at the plate, he's almost already like not ready to have an inside pitch come at him. Like a lot of his home runs are pitched that are you know, out over the plate. And I mean, it's gotta be scary for a hitter, man. Taking 95 to the head. Like that's not something you just come back from. You're like, I'm good. You know, like I'm all right. So I think, I think pitchers really do need to relax with that. Yeah, no, that, that'll change you, man. David Wright, when, if you remember when he first came back from that head injury, he, if you threw a curveball to him, he just buckled. He immediately was ducking out of the way. If he saw that pitch high and tight. So it, it for sure, it, like obviously the injuries are what ended him, and he was able to figure it out. But that that altered the course of like two years of his career, right in right in the middle of his prime. So yeah, no, I, I would have to agree with that. I, I and that's that was that was really evident too. Yeah, so I'm with you. Um, look, I, I brushing guys back, throwing inside. Even look, if you're gonna throw at a guy, just don't throw throw at the back. Throw at hit him in the ass. Like don't. Don't hit a guy on the wrist where it's going to affect his ability to play later in the season. Like, just be smart about it. Yeah, absolutely. These these are guys' livelihoods and careers we're talking about. So, um, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to. I have a little trivia for you. Um, well, not trivia, but a couple questions. Right, hope, hopefully, we do better than earlier. All right. So, all right. So, my trivia question: Can you name three players? current players in MLB that do not wear batting gloves while hitting? Current. Current, current, um, current position players that do um, do not wear batting is, gloves is, while hitting. Is Evan Gaddis signed up? Uh, yes, I'll, I'll count that. Okay, Evan Gaddis. Um, I want to say Jorge Alfaro, but I don't know. Ooh, that I, one I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know for sure. Catchers are always the ones that pop into mind for me. Um. Hmm. I'm struggling on the third. I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, Los Angeles Angels. 
does lefty. Mike Trout not left field? Cole Calhoun? No, no, lefty. Lefty hitter. Oh, lefty hitter. Oh, Cole Calhoun? <laughs> uh, no, he wears uh, – Justin Bohr. Uh, he's okay. kind of a weird one. Justin oh, Bohr. See, if he played, like, more than 40 games with the Phillies last year, I would have known that. True, true. Justin Bohr, Matt Carpenter, Joey Wendell, um, Evan Gaddis, uh, Bryce Harper occasionally. Yeah, occasionally. When, right. when he wants to be weird. Um, and I think you might be right on the Afaro one. I think you're right about that. Catchers always seem to be just rub some dirt on it, grab the bat, let's go up there and hit. I mean, yeah, their hands are already messed up regardless. So, I mean, you saw with Jorge Posada, didn't, didn't he uh, <laughs> urinate on his hands before? Yeah, him, <laughs> Moises Alou, Piazza. They had a whole gang of dudes doing it. Catchers are weird, man. Yeah, a bunch of sick freaks. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so that was that was my trivia. Um, but back to, like, some actual baseball stuff, um, some projections or when, and whatnot, I guess. I'm going to name an under 500 team from each division. You tell me if they have – a legitimate shot to either win the division or just make the playoffs. Um, okay. This one's easy. The Boston Red Sox, they're 18 and 19. Yeah, they they got a shot, only six back. Um, and I'd say, see, I don't think they win the division. I think, in you know, while they're still within reach, you can't count them out. But I definitely think they still make the playoffs at this juncture. I just don't think the AL is deep enough to keep them out. Yeah, um, that that's going to be a tough one for me just because of the Rays and Yankees. And I, I think the Yankees might actually take this division this year. I hate to really say it, but – Yeah, I'm with you. They, they just I'm might. Not, I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to tell you I'm with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really want to say it. But. <laughs> um, AL Central, the Chicago White Sox. Uh, no, no chance. Yeah, I'm not gonna say no chance, but I am gonna say no. That that's here's that's... all right. So Rodon having to it looks like get Tommy John is really gonna be an issue. Um, Giolito's been better of late, but I still think that young pitchers, as they get deep into the season, not you know used to that workload, it te- it wears on them. I think they'll not necessarily fall apart toward. August, September, but I definitely think they'll be, in terms of what you see today versus then, I think they'll be much worse come uh, coming down the stretch. Yeah, I, I think late in the season, they'll they'll be a little bit worse than they are. I think they've they've had a couple good runs, um, you know, during this, you know, uh, six weeks of the season. But, yeah, I think you're right about that. I think they might win more games than people thought, um, especially that we thought. But I, I yeah. think they – I mean – the, the Twins and the Indians are, are definitely going to be there. Um, so the AL West, uh, any team besides the, the Astros, do you think any of those teams can make the playoffs or make a playoff push at least? I think the Texas Rangers actually have the best shot um, out of all of them to make a push, and it's because of the offense. Um, now, I don't – here's the thing. I don't know – it's it's this is all predicated on if they keep that team together. Like it's it's a possibility Mike Miner gets moved, which would really take the wind out of my sails here. But assuming they can just get a little bit better pitching, and when I, I mean like a little bit better, just not the worst in baseball, just a little bit better, all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's probably five ten over five hundred right now because of how well the offense has been. So I think if we're talking about a team that from that division that has a chance, I think Texas is the one I'd go with. Um, for me, it's definitely not the Mariners. Um, <laughs> we've seen their struggles as of late, two and eight in their last ten. Um, I kind of like the Angels, man. I, I don't know what it is, but I think when you have Mike Trout on your team, you always have a legitimate shot at the playoffs, um, even though they haven't really been making it. And then Otani coming back is huge. Um, if he can hit close to what he hit last year and then come back towards the end of the season and possibly pitch, I mean, I, I like them. I, I think they need need another big either bat or, or uh, arm, but I think they're a good team. I think they're a fine team. It's just going to be tough. It's just going to be tough to, like, even get close to, to Houston in that division. And then it's going to be close to beat out the Red Sox, Rays, or Indians. Like, it's just going to be really tough. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, the Angels are kind of a case like the Rangers for me. I think that the pitching is just the real issue there. Um, they need arms in L.A. and they or Anaheim, where, wherever they play. And you need arms in Texas if you want to compete. And I just don't know if either of them is going to be willing to go out and get them. Uh, they might be quicker to move off them than go out and get them. And, yeah, Otani coming back is huge. You just wish that he'd be able to go go out and hop on the mound once a week, you know, right now, which is unfortunate he can't. But if he could, I would be with you. But, yeah, I'll take Texas. All right. Um, I mean, completely fair argument. Uh, NL East, um, so the Braves are 500. Uh, the Mets are you know, one game under 500 in the, the Nationals. Uh, who do you think has the best shot to make the playoffs out of those three? Um, can I take the Braves even though they're 500? Yeah, yeah, 500 or lower. That's that's where yeah, I'm I'll take. I'll take the Braves. Um, still one of the best lineups in baseball. Uh, they have plenty of pitching, even if guys aren't doing well. They have so many guys in AAA that they can bring up and fill in. Uh, we've seen Sean Newcomb bounce up and down already. So I think uh, Atlanta, just the depth they have, the talent, um, and the pitching. I mean, I, I just think they're the total package. I think that's a playoff team. Yeah, for me. Playoff caliber uh, team, I should say. Yeah, for me, I'm eliminating the Mets. I don't think the Mets um, – I think the Mets are going to fall off, like, really poorly, like yeah. bad. We, uh, Me and you, we were on that early. Then it looked like they might make us look bad, but uh, – we, we're looking better again on that one. No, like we touched upon the New York Mutts, man. They're not. Like, they just, <laughs> like, I mean, they had that really good season. What was it? Uh, 16 or right. whatever. But, yeah, when I mean, they, yep, when they played Kansas City. And then you just see it three seasons in a row. It's just complete and utter disappointment. And I think we're just going to get that again. And I feel so terrible for Mets fans sometimes. <laughs> it's just I like, don't. Because they were the ones who were happy about the Robinson Cano trade. It's like the guy has a higher AAV a year than Bryce Harper. He's, what, 35 now? It's like, I just, I don't understand what the thought process is there ever. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I want to say the Nationals have a chance. um, And I'm going to stay with them for a little bit. And then if, if they really start falling off, I'll officially get off and then hop back on the Braves little wagon there. But um, I got to start. I got to root for Washington. Just see, see where it goes. At least once they get uh, all their guys back Um, NL central. I mean, there's four teams over 500 and then the reds are up 15 and 21. So not completely terrible. Um, Any teams besides those top three dogs. So either the reds or the pirates have a shot or you kind of just, cross them off already yeah I, th- I think you could cross them off unfortunately I, I do think they're both good teams which you know it kind of sucks that you got to write them off so early but that division at the top is just it's so stacked um so yeah I just because of the competition within the, the division I don't think either of them will be able to compete yeah I think for me it's I mean they're just they're hitting in, in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati it just isn't there um and yeah, their their pitching's fine, but it's not it's not better than the Cubs pitching. It's not better than the Cardinals pitching. So, well, in general, the Cardinals pitching. I think the Cardinals have not pitched their potential, but I think they will. Um, so yeah, I, for me, that's rough. I mean, like you said, good teams. I think Pittsburgh can win eighty games or close to eighty games. I think Cincinnati can can cl- get close to eighty if they play well enough, but it's just not going to be enough. Um, NL West, so I mean, this is interesting. I mean, Colorado Rockies, sixteen yeah. twenty. Yep, that's that's it. That's your answer. Um, not only are they the team under five hundred that could compete, but I just think they're the only team other than the Dodgers that have a chance at that division. Um, I'm still there. I I understand it's out that San Diego's played great, Arizona's played great, but I think. Kind of like we talked about with Chicago, as the season gets deeper, we're going to see those teams fall off. Um, the Rockies have been a playoff team contender for a few years now. They've, you know, they've experienced a full 162 together in the ups and downs. I still think that's a team that, as far as talent on paper goes, um, you know, they're the second best team in that division, and they could put it together and make a run here. 
Yeah, I just I'm just starting to worry if if we're we're getting on the Colorado Rocky name too much. Um, like obviously, yeah, they're still a good team, but it, are we letting them them get in the way of seeing the the progress of San Diego and Arizona, or is it Arizona is just playing way above their heads and they're going to fall off as we were actually seeing in the series against the Rays, where they just haven't looked like a competent baseball team at all. <laughs> Yeah, see, well, that's that's the thing. I think much like the Mariners, that's more of the truth with Arizona. And I think San Diego is the one that's interesting. I think they're going to compete till the end. Um, and I think they're ready to buy. I don't think they're going to move off anyone. In fact, I think if they're competing, they'd be willing to go out and sign a Keiko or a Kimbrough or both. So I think that San Diego can hang for sure. But I just think in terms of depth, experience, um, pitching, I just think Colorado has a little bit more. And it doesn't hurt that they play in Coors Field with a stacked offensive lineup. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to stay on the Rockies till about the, you know, September. And, and if they're not there, then I'll finally give it up. This, you know, that, right. that's me. Like, you know, um, unlike a couple other teams where it's like, I'm going to start already giving up. Like, the Mariners, I'm already off them. Already off of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm done. Yeah. Done with them. See, I told you. I didn't really want to put them in my power rankings last week, but I did it off principle. And now exactly. a week later, a week later, I'm just I'm done. I'm exactly. Done. You guys are out. Exactly. So um anyway, um that that pretty much wraps up our podcast. We do want to mention that we apologize to Orioles fans for saying they're the worst team ever. And that the Marlins might be the worst team ever. <laughs> I I do not. I don't apologize. Um, if you're leveled out with the Marlins, then you deserve to be considered the joint worst teams ever. So that's where we're at. You guys both stink. Okay, that's fair. And that completes our podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Reminder to follow us on Twitter at PlaySneaky. Follow Joe at TakingThePrice. Follow myself at B underscore Contino 23 and follow at JoggerMagHQ on the Twitter. Um, a colleague of mine put out a piece on the Tampa Bay Rays. Very good read. And uh, stay interested in baseball, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Sneaky Place podcast presented by JoggerMag.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please smash that subscribe button and follow us on Twitter at PlaySneaky.